0: Hello, Brian. Hello, Adam. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Sorry. Good. A couple of weeks off. Just remembering how to do all this stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. We had a, a bit of a break in there. Sorry to uh, sorry for folks who have become regulars. We had a our all oxide meetup, which is that was a ton of fun.
0: That was great, man. It was great. Um, and in particular, uh, there were a couple of colleagues who I'd only seen directly. Uh, head on, you know, boxed in a window and I got distracted by two of them. I, I had a hard time recognizing them. Recognize them because you had just oh, never seen like the back. I'd never seen them in person. Yeah. I've yeah, never yeah. seen them five degrees off of center.
1: You, and it's also like, you can't go up to someone and say, you know, I found your head shape to be surprising. <laughs> I mean, or, or, or whatever it is, or I like, <laughs> you are, you are of much more average stature than I thought, or you are. I mean, there's basically no way to enter into that without being, the, very weird agreed very weird not necessarily inappropriate more like weird
0: yeah and i think um, like,
1: like once you go into that there's no way out of it too it's like wh- why are you even here just like just from afar you know yeah i think that's right of course now it's like wait a minute who are they talking clearly is the, like is, is it my head shape am i weirdly tall I think, or short I think, I think we need to emphasize that it's it's
0: everyone and no one there right? you go Sure. I mean I mean, you can say that, but there are a couple I'm thinking of. No, I, that, I would say that we do work with remarkably tall people. In some cases alarmingly tall. In some we would very tall people, but not all tall. Yeah. And it's you know it's, it's all about that. I also feel yeah, like
1: um, um am I the only one doing the following? I'm about to, this is I I I'm about to tell myself here the maybe I am the only one doing this and I shouldn't say this. The <laughs> I feel That a uh, a video ism that I have I'm not able to get myself to stop doing is the over overly emphatic thumbs up next to my cheek in a conversation. You know (laughs) know what I mean?
0: I do. Uh, And you do do that? You do that in person now? I I for sure have done that in person.
1: Huh? And I've done that in person in like not only in contexts, but I think. In, when you're talking to a colleague that you're used to seeing over, you know, over a video conference, it's like that you just that that thumbs ready to go that that emphatic, cheerful thumbs up next to my cheekbone so you can see it and know that I'm agreeing with you <laughs> for this video conference. Well,
0: that, that's better than like feeling the need to reach for a keyboard to have some sidebar conversation while other people are talking. <laughs> you know, that's
1: another thing that's kind of interesting. Yeah. About like the. Uh, the the sidebar conversation ends up just becoming an important part of a meeting.
0: Yeah, totally. But that's not why but that, we're here. not why we're here exactly. As excited oh, as we are, as excited as we are.
1: Yeah, I had this this tweet today that um about <laughs> oh man.
0: And yeah. So so how, I, so how, how how did we get here? Can we? Keep, how did we get here? Up? Where does this Odyssey yeah.
1: start? Yeah. So this Odyssey starts. Well, I would like to say, so this is not the first time, as I was kind of reflecting back on debugging this problem, this is not the first time that this problem has inflicted itself upon me, which is to say the lack of TCP no delay being set on a connection resulting in the very unfortunate combination of delayed acts and Nagel's algorithm. We'll kind of Hmm. get into all that here. I think it might be the first time that I myself have debugged it all the way to root cause. I feel like somewhere along there in other cases, I have either not been able to debug it to root cause or someone else has said like, wait a minute, have we checked this thing over here? And as a result, it has not made the, this one seared my brain in a way that some of those
0: other, those, those prior ones did not. I mean, I can imagine that the data for a lot of these kinds of pathologies looks similar. Right, like if once you've seen it once, you start to look for it in the data and you see these hiccups, you're like, wait a minute.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel that like that, that's a good question because I feel like the data for this one looks slightly different. I mean, when I've seen this thing in other presentations it's actually been even harder. And this was not easy to debug at all. This is really a mess. So yeah, should we talk about kind of how we got here?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what what were you debugging?
1: Um, so, uh, the um, I was debugging. Um, we we had some I/O performance that was. We had some la- latency outliers that were um, bad,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and um, we were trying to understand why. And we had seen this in. Um, we would seen this both on customer sites, and then fortunately, we had seen a very similar symptomatic presentation, kind of here. Uh, at Oxide, we've got our own rack that we that we run our own workloads on. So uh, we have kind of seen it in both places. But you know, it always makes me nervous because you're you're kind of reproducing symptoms. And we, you and I both know that uh, reproducing symptoms is not necessarily the same as reproducing the annoying problem. And so one of the things that I feel that I went to, I did go to earlier in this problem that I don't regret, um, is something that I've learned the hard way over the years, which is when looking at I/O pathologies, in particular it is really important to visualize every
0: single IO. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. You mean as opposed to aggregating them into buckets yes. or looking at one minute no. or 30 second samples or whatever? Yes, that you can see patterns. And we saw this even
1: back in the day in Fishworks. We saw some mm-hmm. really wild patterns. when we, we, we had this analytics facility that we had added to the NAS box that we were building. Uh, detroit based analytics facility, which was really interesting. And one of the things that we did there that was, I think, pretty novel at the time was the ability to get heat maps for IO latency. And then we would look at those over time, and there were some like wild patterns in there. Do you remember? We got to dig up like Brendan's blog.
0: Yeah. I was was thinking, oh, I was thinking of the pterodactyl. The pterodactyl.
1: Um, Yeah. The. Um and it's the here, I've got uh, I've got the, the link here. I can drop it in the Discord. Um this is uh latency art X marks the spot. And I mean this was I feel uh just wild. So let's see, I'm one of my alts here is gonna drop this into the Discord. Um so uh hopefully that blo- that uh Yeah, yeah.
0: I've got the the icy
1: lake there. I've got i Discord is going no, there we go, good. Um the So, and you look just by looking at latency of operation over time. So you're putting basically time on the x-axis and latency in some way, shape, or form on the y-axis. And uh, in this case, we are. This is actually a heat map showing you kind of the frequency at different latencies, um, which is easier than. I mean, you can't look at kind of a line graph of thousands of events happening in in a second. Uh, You've got to be able to aggregate them up a little bit and 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 kind of quantize them a bit. And we would just see like absolutely crazy things. Um, and we've got um, we will. I think he's got a link there to yeah. He's it, that that first link is the latency art is to that thing that we called Rainbow Pterodactyl. Um, yeah. And you would just see these like super subtle effects by looking at latency over time. And I had definitely <clears throat> when uh, I mean, as you know, Adam, I. Well, I either control time and space in my mind or more likely the gods like to taunt me. And whenever there was like an extended period of time where whenever I would give a presentation, the gods would pick the most ironic problem to send my way immediately after that presentation. So um, in particular, it's like, oh, did you just give a presentation on debugging in production? Let us now send you a nightmare to debug in production. Let us now <laughs> let, let, let us now fill ourselves with mirth by sending you. Oh, did you, oh, I'm sorry. Did you just give a presentation on on pathologies in firmware? Let us now send you a new pathology in firmware that would that that delights us as we. W- so in, in particular, I gave this presentation called "Zebras All the Way Down" on uh, latency outliers deep in in the firmware stack in particular, and then got absolutely. Duke, like the next moment began because the gods like saw my presentation and immediately sent this my way of this really gnarly IO performance issue that we only saw in one data center. Um, and it was, it, it took me too long to actually just go visualize every IO. And when I did visualize every IO, what I saw were really clear bands. Um, and in particular, in this particular case, I would see this very clear band of, uh, of, of, effectively, uh, IOs all being delayed until they were all clearly released from the firmware. And there Mm. was clearly a 2,700 millisecond timeout somewhere in that firmware. Um, And this is when I learned that Toshiba made hard drives. I actually didn't know that Toshiba made hard drives. Oh, my God. This is where I'm like, I get to the point where I'm like, is this like a drive firmware issue? I mean, I had kind of been debugging this, assuming that it was a... Postgres issue and or ZFS issue because definitely both those two <laughs> were definitely both yeah. on the scene and just like going at it like a like wet cats in a bag. So it's like reasonable to assume it was one of those two. Uh but then as I was looking at the actual IO latency coming off the drives, I'm like, maybe this is an actual like drive firmware issue. And I'm like, do we have this? Do we have like a different version of HGST firmware in this data center? Then we do in other data centers and I pulled the drive information. And I'm like, Toshiba makes hard drives. <laughs> there was just this moment like, of like, what? There and, you go. Well, and it's actually kind of part of like the Joker oxide origin story a little bit, because um, that, I guess that makes oxide of being a supervillain, but this is when I realized that Dell would just routinely stuff Toshiba drives. You, like you can't spec your drive with Dell. Mm-hmm. And so the, and Toshiba, these are two and a half inch drives at the time, and uh, basically we learned that uh, all, Toshiba supplies effectively exclusively bought by Dell, it just and they're just shoved into unsuspecting customers. Anyway, we discovered huh. a lot of Toshiba firmware issues. Um, but I, one of the things in that whole thing that I regretted is like I really should have visualized each I/O earlier, which I felt we had learned at Fishworks, and I just kind of yeah. like forgotten.
0: Great, you're right that it's a great point, and I think we learned it even like with D Trace early days just in the TTY, just in the terminal, where effects that are hard to express numerically, or at least hard for me to express numerically, become really clear just to the eye, where you see patterns that are hard to infer computationally. Totally.
1: Totally. Especially
0: you like looking at especially if you've got kind
1: of like light banding, you know, they can be you can see that visually really quickly that you can't necessarily see. It can be much harder to quantify. Yeah. Visualizing data is, is a big one. So we I wanted to go do this. And in particular, in this case, it's a, like a little bit challenging because, you know, in the, the oxide rack, it's like, what is actually presented to the user is a, is a VM. I mean, We've got a VM, you've got virtual storage, virtual network, and really wanted to understand it from the guest's perspective of like, let's start there. What is the guest seeing in terms of latency outliers? And uh, this
0: is where I did actually end up using BPF trace for the first time in earnest. Couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when you, when you told me you're going there. Very impressed. Well, I mean, because like I needed it, you're right. I mean, it's like, sure. Absolutely.
1: It's, it's an Ubuntu, you know, 2204 guest and like, and actually, you know, this is one of those where it's like, I actually, don't want to be vindicated right now. I actually want BPF trace <laughs> just to be unequivocally <laughs> awesome. I do not yeah. need to be right about anything right now. And I would just love it to be delightful. Um,
0: uh, should we explain what BPF trace is? I realize that, you know, friends of the show may be familiar. Sure. But not sure. So uh, we talked at length at, and then more and then more length about D Trace uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and is it and, we, and yet not enough. We, I, and yet, I, it turns out there were still more. Like we didn't even talk about data visualization or Fishworks analytics or whatever. I'm realizing. Did you
1: so, have like that after that episode, or like, oh man, there's so much stuff we didn't talk about.
0: Like, how um, can you see that in an episode that's two hours long? You jerk. No, my family was like, oh, you're still here. So no, I didn't, I didn't have time to think about what I had I had forgotten to mention. Um, but uh, the but so uh, ebpf extended Berkeley packet filter is this. You have facility in Linux that has been extended even farther and, and uh, does dynamic tracing in Linux. Is that an overly friendly way of saying it? I don't
1: know. If, I mean, in particular, it has this facility called uh, BCC. Yeah. Um, there were people that would complain about the usability of Dtrace. Um, and to those people, I sentenced them to go for, for their crimes. They, they must go use BCC. I don't think it, something that, like, the complaints about usability about trace kind of went away after BCC. BCC. Yeah.
0: And I'd also say that, like, eBPF and BCC and these other things actually can do lots, lots more. Um, you know, in particular, DTrace intentionally puts a lot of constraints on what you can do using DTrace in terms of the safety of the system, mutability of the system. And that, in some cases, is layered on after the fact in eBPF, and sometimes not. So, you know, different design centers, different goals.
1: It, it, totally. It, it, absolutely different design centers, different goals. I
0: mean, it, it is a
1: packet filter. Is that kind of how it started? So it's That's like right. definitely different design centers, different goals for sure. And uh, usability, not one of those goals.
2: Debugability, <laughs> not one of
1: those goals. Mostly. And so BPF Trace was built as a much more DTrace-like front end on BCC. I I do give them credit for uh it, it is frustrating to me when people kind of uh, get very inspired by D Trace but don't mention D Trace. It's like if you're very inspired like D Trace is very inspired by AUK, I would like to think that we have mentioned AUK extensively, that we have not we are not pretending that we are not borrowing good abstractions from AUK. Um and BPF Trace to their defense, in their defense, uh, it's pretty clear that like, hey, was is D Trace inspired a hey, great Again, mm-hmm. I just want this thing to work like really that sounds terrific. but it unfortunately is it's not it's not really great, and in particular, it's just it, it, you know what it is it's very revealing I think we said this last time too the, the, the just the origins are different, and when we designed designtroce, it is really designed to help you comprehend the system, and we used it a lot to debug the system and it shows because like the stuff that we built uh, the, on the one hand, like the stuff that we built are those things you need on the other hand, the, the kind of the constraints that we had are the constraints that we ourselves felt as we were solving this problem. So the absolute safety constraint for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot instrument the system to death. We talked about that last time. Um, but uh, one that we did not talk about because <laughs> I guess I didn't think it needed to be belabored, but apparently it does it, any dynamic Instrumentation facility that can go into an arbitrarily fragile context is going to have modes in which it can drop data where you want to go like I want to instrument the system in this way. it's like, sorry, we actually don't have a buffer to put it in, and uh, we can't allocate memory in this context. so like we're going to have to drop this data and that's just like I feel like that's an intractable part of the problem um, yeah
0: I mean I, I think you, or you need to somehow pause the system right the, the, it's it's one or the other. You can't, uh, you know, if you don't have a place to put it, you, you got to choose. you don't have a place to put it, you got to choose. And one of the things about detroit that we did extremely
1: early, because this is what I wanted, we wanted out of our debugging facility, is it, it's obviously you are going to have these situations. When you have them, they always need to be very apparent to the person using the software. So you've got, you cannot drop data silently. And you have to indicate, I have dropped data, and this is why. I have dropped data, and it is because I am out of dynamic variable space, or I'm out of buffer space, or I'm out of aggregation space, or I, I have run out of one of these things that needs to be statically sized a priori. I have, I have run into one of those limits, and here's the limit I've run into, and here's the way, by the way, that you can, you can tune the system such that I am less likely to have this happen. That, to me, is, like, super important. I mean, that's, like, of course, the
0: first thing we did. And I think incredibly the- important. I think one mistake maybe we made is we then said, these are all the <laughs> things that happened. But I don't know. Here's, here's what I think is the data. So, I don't know. Make of it what you will, even though it's probably all wrong.
1: It, well, and that's it. It's, like, it's like when you are, you know, once you've had certain kinds of drops, you've effectively lost data integrity. As If you think of this, even though it's not torn complete when you're writing a a trace script, there is like data integrity that's involved. And in particular, if you want to trace every IO, you want to know the latency of every IO, you're going to have to record some datum in an an auxiliary space when that IO starts. And when that IO is done, you're going to have to compare the timestamp when this thing started, assuming that the system doesn't keep this timestamp on its own which it doesn't in Linux and it doesn't on most other systems as well. It's like they don't, we don't keep the timestamp because we don't necessarily need to all the time. So you want dynamic instrumentation for that. And th- this is really basic. But then it becomes really, really important that if I cannot execute one end of that, I need to be aware of that because I've lost coherence. Yeah. Because It means I'm going to see the end of an I.O. that I never saw the start of, or I'm going to see the start of an I.O. that I never see the end of.
0: Yeah, and, and then your, your sample will have some fraction of the data, but you have no idea of the bias associated with that.
1: Th- that's right. And this is one of these things that's like, you know, this is not like a D-Trace interface issue. This is, this is kind of deeper than that. And I just spent a lot of time just beating my head
0: against. So what, in, 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 BPF trace. In, in BPF Trace, do you, you get data drops without notification? Yes. Don't um, make me do this. Ha- yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry that yeah. it happened to you.
1: <laughs> Are you?
0: You don't <laughs> no, that. Sure. You don't, mm. so I mean, we, as opposed to as a, as opposed to me. Just to be clear.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. And and this is one of these things that like also the other thing that is like, super challenging about this particular issue is I'm also I'm instrumenting like I'm instrumenting Linux. I'm instrumenting the guest. And you, when you have one of these things, I mean, honestly, my first thought, especially kind of coming out of of dtrace, is like my first thought is I am not instrumenting the system correctly, right? Like where there there's a code path where an I/O can complete that I'm not instrumenting, which is a kind of a reasonable first assumption. Totally. And you spend a lot of time like, and it's it's kind of impossible to know. In fact, a part of me like still doesn't totally know. The only reason I was able to like, convince myself that that's not what's happening. Is because when I was when I was able to write much simpler things, I was able to I, I was able to prove to myself that no every single I/O is is going through these two code paths. This code path to start, this code path to end, and we in fact are silently dropping a bunch of these on the floor, which is just whatever. It, it's okay. it,
0: I, it, I have it, a very it, country mouse question in yeah. in uh, obviously in Illumos Helios Solaris. There's the I/O start and I/O done probes. Like we've taken yes. the time to annotate where in the code IOs occur.
1: Why are we doing this? Yes, go ahead. Do it. <laughs> also no, true. It. I
0: mean, is it true you know, in BPA? Okay. You know. Just asking. Asking for, I guess, I myself mean, in the future. It could be worse.
1: It is. It, <laughs> it, God, I'm already like, I'm already bargaining here. It. it, 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 it no, Stockholm I mean, Syndrome really, for mean, sure. I mean, obviously no, they don't. It, Stockholm yes, Syndrome because I just want this thing to work. Like I actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, No, they not have it. And and even worse than that, like on in in some cases, it's it's the, the the name of the routine is named one way, and in some like in in different kernel versions, it will be. I mean, you're imp- you're basically using their equivalent of FPT. Which also, by the way, doesn't allow you to instrument
0: on function return. You can only instrument on function entries. Like okay, that's charming. Um, (laughs) Wait, function boundary tracing as long as the boundary is the entry? As long as boundary is the entry. Well, they don't call it. I mean, their defense they don't call it FBT. Okay. Okay. okay, Fair enough.
1: The the, RK funk, but the uh, so you've got to like instrument um, a bunch of things that don't necessarily exist. And then I found that. That uh, the other, sorry, we're here. I really we weren't. I guess well, sorry. We'll get the we'll get the Nagle eventually. But the the, so the other thing that is that is super frustrating is what is the coherence of the instrumentation with respect to the start of the instrumentation. So in particular, Mm. if you instrument the 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 same point of instrumentation multiple times in d you you got which is to say you effectively have multiple clauses that are instrumenting that same point we guarantee that you're not we don't like just start executing the third clause you know what i mean like right. if you, you and it's very clear that there's much more of like a, a rolling start to
0: bcc right like, well you mean like like sort of if you have three probes attached or three statements yeah. or whatever attached to the same yeah. probe sort of the third and then the first you know the third might execute absent the First and second, or whatever.
1: Yeah, it, when you know, in Detroit we have huh. this this important belief that we're going to get everything set up and everything yeah. is ready to go, and then there's one master switch that we are just like, now go. Right. Um. I think you can say with confidence that there's not the same design approach to PCC. We're just like, oh, throw throw some instrumentation at it, throw some more instrumentation at it, throw some more instrumentation at it. So As a result, like your probe, kind of like, or your entire like ppf trace program kind of flickers on where you know some enabling you know you've got an enabling well it'll start firing then another enabling will start firing then another enabling will start firing that clearly happens over the span of you know hundreds of microseconds or milliseconds or tens of milliseconds so i don't know good luck everybody good luck i mean that does sound brutal it's hard. It just makes it, it's just one of these things where, and I think that this is a kind of a, a as I was kind of digging into the issues, BPF trace issues and, you know, kind of, again, not, and a place I don't even want to be like, I don't even want to be right about this right now. I'm actually happy. I just, just want to, I just want to use this thing. I'm so, really just trying to debug some other problem. Like I know the BPF trace is not the problem right now. I know that trying
0: kind to of something up. So <laughs> well, uh, two, two questions on this, on this hero's journey. Uh, first, why? Did you think about uh, measuring it from the perspective of the other side, you know, from, uh, you know, from propolis, from our, no, 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 no. Pardon I, me from propolis, yeah. like from the, from the VMM, like from the, you know, the other side of the, the uh, virtual machine boundary.
1: Uh, so the, well, the reason I really wanted, I, so this was how ha- a customer was, was seeing this and yeah. really wanted, and I also just felt like this is something that is going to happen that it that oh, we yeah. would expect to happen over time where what you actually have is kind of the, the, the customer's viewpoint, the, the, the VM's viewpoint of networking performance, IO performance, what have you. And I just felt like this was kind of an important perspective to get because that's yeah. ultimately the perspective that like, matters to the, the VM is like what I am seeing. Sure. And I think it's kind of an important ground truth to go establish so yeah
0: uh, and gr- great muscle mass to for us to build as oxide to understand you know how those virtual machines are operating
1: yeah exactly so i felt like it was um th- that and I, I stand by that i think that that's actually i did yeah. i do uh, i think it was good um so we um so put together the, the, this this bpf trace script that, and then I, <laughs> there's a lot of just that there okay uh, sorry to do this the begin and end probes also don't uh-huh. work the way you would expect. Um, they, the, uh, begin okay. end, the begin and end probes they try to get super clever and they actually install a user level probe on themselves on the the bPF trace process
0: uh-huh
1: but then BPF trace has been stripped by a bunch of distros, so you can't actually do so if you run bPF trace minus end begin or whatever you get an error message that just is, makes absolutely no sense. It's, it's something about like, you know, I'm, I'm missing a begin trigger. It's like, wait, this sounds like a you problem. Why? What? Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Huh, that's I, I, exciting. I, 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 I digress. I digress. Yes. Uh, um, the, so you got some so data. Got some data and accepted that this data was going to be somewhat lossy, which is okay. frustrating to accept, but whatever. And, uh, and then did some post-processing. Actually, it was great to do post-processing of that then in Rust, which I actually, like, Rust is increasingly, you know, because I would, like, for something like this, where I'm, like, post-processing data, you know, I would say that, I, like, shell and awk has been the kind of my, my the thing I've, I've reached for over my career, like, even in the last couple of years. And it's not, increasingly, I'm, like, reaching to Rust for these kinds of things that are... Yeah you know much kind of quicker almost throwaway work but it's it's just much faster to do it Rust.
0: Uh, well i and- i feel like i agree and uh it's much faster because i don't have to do it twice like i, I think my usual workflow is to like fuck it up once with python or awk or bash or whatever and maybe like spend a bunch of time figuring out why whereas uh i feel like i get it right the first time more often with rust you get it right the first time. And then when, then when you want to go build something that's like a little more sophisticated, like
1: in particular, I do have this issue of like, hey, I actually want to just, after an IO has been outstanding for some number, 500 milliseconds, we're going to treat that as like, whoops, we have a thanks BPF trace. That's just a, that's a drop effectively. And I just mm-hmm. want to like discard that data point. And that's kind of a pain in the ass. I mean, yeah, you can, obviously you can do it knock and shell, but it's just, it gets, uh, it, it gets grottier and grottier. So totally. The uh, But so anyway, so we, we get this data and visualize the data. And in particular, there is some real clear banding at 100 milliseconds. And I'm like, what is... This? Okay, so we're seeing... And in particular, and I can kind of break this up by, by different kinds of operations. We're seeing this in particular on flush operations. So when you've got mm-hmm. a... Th- this is our... Uh, we, we've got our uh, EBS-like service, our virtual storage service, and uh, it is presenting a a, a virtual volume, a virtual disk to the guest, and that guest can do a, a read operation or write operation. But we we tell the guest that, hey, by the way, there is effectively non-volatile caching here, or there's volatile caching here, so there is you, you cannot assume when you do a write to me. Um, it's not necessarily synchronous. Um, it's not necessarily non-volatile. You need to come back later and do a flush if you want. Right. If you want to make sure that. So this is the, the way it is. Um, and so we were, in particular, these flush operations would have the, this banding at 100 milliseconds. And it wasn't, but it wasn't all of them. It wasn't even like necessarily many of them. It was like, and we finally got a workload that had like a third of them were at these hundred millisecond outliers. The problem is, like, when when everyone else is clustered at like four milliseconds, you know, a hundred yeah. milliseconds is a long time. That's a long time. That's to right. Man.
0: That that outlier has an outsized effect for sure. An outlier has an
1: outsized effect, and you know, I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed about how, uh, you know, long it took to long. I mean, it was, it was just a very long day at that point. But you know, kind of going through, I just like. I wanted to debug this from first principles. So really kind of started at, you know, and fortunately we've got at this point, you know, we've got this same behavior. We've now got reproduced kind of inside an oxide rack. So now I've got the ability to actually instrument the system from kind of an arbitrary point, right? Not just from the guest. Mm-hmm. So we can begin to see like, okay, so where, where do we see these hundred millisecond outliers? And cause my, th- my assumption was, that there was something happening in Crucible in the storage layer that was inducing these outliers. I don't know. It feels reasonable, right? I don't know. You know, <laughs> totally, knowing how this ends, you don't have to tell me that. But uh, the um, the other thing I would say is that we knew we didn't see it on the bench. We knew we didn't see it uh, if the network is is out of the picture. We knew we didn't see it, and they just say like, the latency the numbers look good." And then like and then when we were
0: doing loopback tests. Mm-hmm. That's right.
1: When yeah. when you when the volume and you're 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 writing everything in triplicate. So when all three. Um, of those targets are on the same gimlet, the same compute slide we, were, we knew we weren't seeing it. So yeah. it was only when we're going over the network we're seeing these outliers. And, you know, just trying to like chew through every layer. And this is actually where uh, USDT was huge, Adam. Hmm. Um cool. Because, because uh, Alan, Alan Hanson has been leading up the, the storage efforts has done a great job of adding USDT probes to Crucible. So um, Crucible is loaded with USDT probes. And in particular, then you you've got there are identifiers that are relevant to Crucible that are in each of these operations. So you have these job identifiers, which was actually really important to begin to correlate activity that you're seeing on one side versus activity you're seeing
0: on the other side. But cool, got it. So you can look on both, both client and server effectively with that same ID both
1: client and server then, but it's actually really hard to like actually get all this stuff to line up, right? Because Mm. you are kind of relying on, I mean, it's a bit of a time (laughs) problem, right? And kind of relying on wall timestamp and then the divergence of system clocks. And, you know, you're trying to, to kind of roughly true this up to figure out where it's coming from. And what we were, what I was seeing is that you, we would, we would, when we would see these outliers, and we were seeing them frequently enough that I could really begin to like understand when we – and they were like cliffy at 100 milliseconds. You know, Once we've seen this, I can stop gathering data or I can, I can look at what I've got. And the, the, kind of the, the next step was like, all right, so when did we – because my kind of assumption at that point was like this is um, – there must be some reason why this isn't going out on the wire on the remote end, which is actually, it turns out was like very close, but also very far away because I ended up convincing myself too early that it was going out of the wire. And I went back to kind of the client end of this and spent a bunch of time and a bunch of detrace invocations looking at, and this is where like the TCP and IP probes were very helpful and correlating that with probes at the Cisco layer and the USG, So you can begin to like get this whole picture of what's going on. Mm-hmm and what you actually see is that we actually like we're just not getting an acknowledgement of this we, we sent a flush request and then we don't see an acknowledgement for 100 milliseconds ultimately is what it boils down to and we but and we now know that the flush definitely occurred you can see the flush happening at the other end it's happening super promptly it's happening in whatever it was you know three to six milliseconds and you can see it being sent and then it's, it, but it's not actually showing up. And at that point, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Is this <laughs> <my> being nageled? <laughs> and so, Adam, have you had to deal with, uh, I mean, this is, I think this is a little unfair to John Nagel.
0: Um,
1: have you? Uh, no, have you I, to you know, what,
0: I've, I, uh, after spending some time looking, I, I don't think I've been victim to Nagel's al- algorithm in the past, as far as I know. Yeah. So, which uh, I know I've, it's a privilege statement, I realize. It is.
1: It, yeah. uh, good. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you raised that. Yeah, so the, the, the idea is that, hey, if I have got a small packet and I am already waiting to hear from an, an ACK back from the other side, like I not, I, I'm kind of pending, I'm waiting to hear from the other side.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, that might be an indicator that I am flooding um, the network with these really small packets. So instead of doing that, let's just hang out a little bit here. Let's leave this small packet here until we hear that act back from the other side. And by the way, folks that are, um, uh, if you are, and I'm sorry, I've not been looking at the request to speak, if if folks have been asking, but if they are, if folks have got expertise on this, and I'm wrong, by the way, feel free to jump (laughs) up here. And uh, if you, especially if folks have actually debugged this, um, I definitely want to hear from folks. Um, So, um, when this is the idea of, of Nagel's algorithm is we want to be kind to the network, right. which is like a, actually a very, you know, uh, it, and I think I saw Tom Lyon here earlier and, you know, I, I feel like the, the great internet collapse of 1986. I have we talked about that here. I
3: don't, I don't think know. so.
1: No, I don't think so. And, and is, is Tom here. Tom, Tom, I'm not sure if Tom can, uh, can talk about the great internet collapse, but there, it, Basically, nice. the, the Internet as designed was going to collapse um, because it was uh, of congestion. The Internet was dying of congestion. Yeah, so Tom, can you, can you take us back to the glory days of 1986 and the great Internet? I mean, it, it, do I have the history even approximately correct?
4: I'm not entirely sure. I remember Sun was not actually connected to the Internet for quite a while. So we were watching from the sidelines as a lot of the stuff was happening. Oh, but interesting. N- N- Nagel's algorithm was definitely important, but nowhere near as important as Van Jacobson's work, which I think is more like 88. And right. I mean, yeah, just to be clear,
1: Nagel's algorithm is somewhat unrelated to, or is unrelated to the Great Internet Collapse. The, this is where, Adam, the, and when you say Van Jacobson, you mean the, the uh, sliding window algorithm. Tom,
4: uh, the, uh, you know, the uh, exponential back off, hmm. if you lose a bracket, right. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that, that's what really saved the internet.
1: That saved the internet, right. And so, but there was this kind of idea, I think, especially, correct, again, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Tom, but there's this kind of idea that, that we actually needed to consider the network as part of this kind of design criteria of the broader system, that it, it that you cannot allow uh, individual actors to act greedily because they will destroy the internet or
4: destroy the network
1: is kind of the plus,
4: plus the endpoints were very different right there were there were lots of uh, terminal aggregators you know milking machines and so you'd get one character in from a milking machine you have never heard what's of that? The, No, what's the milking i mean no, I, this we're, this not the we're not talking we're not talking a whole, a, whole, a whole bunch of uh, serial lines coming into an Ethernet port. Wow. I don't know where it got that name, but. That's great. Um, but you know, you get a, a character in on a, on a terminal line, Is what are you going to do with it? Okay, you wrap it up in a packet and send it. Well, if everyone's doing that, then you, you really need Nagel's algorithm because you just get a shit ton of small packets, and, and you have no idea when more characters are coming in from the serial lines right
1: and and th- that's because you're just you're constantly sending. and and for a user the latency bubble that you so in kind of the worst case you're the latency bubble that you're going to see is the time until you get that ack from the other side which doesn't feel like right. it's like hey you know it's like doesn't feel like it's that long like, yeah so what like wait until you've heard an ack. like just settle down and the fact that you haven't heard an act back indicates that you, we
0: may be suffering from congestion, um, which feels reasonable. And we're talking about human scale. I mean, talking about hundred milliseconds uh, or 40 milliseconds on Nagel's algorithm, I think that it's not, you know, not that noticeable for us people. Yeah. Plus,
4: plus it was in the days when, yeah, you're, you're doing stuff over the wide area. It's, it's a miracle. <laughs> things work at all and you're not going to complain too much about the response right. <laughs> the fact
0: that you get an act at all is a miracle right right right, right. yeah
1: and, and so Please. i think and you know all of this like might have might not be something we're talking about today had it not been for work that was happening in parallel on delayed acts So kind of at the same moment, and I this is coming from by the way a Hacker News post from John Nagel, and man, I can because like I mean I don't think we're the only ones to talk about getting nagged, right? Do other people (laughs) talk about getting nagged? And like, I mean, if I'm John Nagel, I'm like, hey, dude, this kind of sucks that my name is (laughs) pathology. I mean, that's like what? Yeah. And. I, uh, although, uh, Adam, thank you for, I, I really admire your discretion to not reveal that actually getting canceled is something that you and, and everyone <laughs> except for me refers to. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that it's like, God, I got I got canceled again today. Oh, God, well, you God. talk
0: about getting Leventhaled and you and I. I do talk about, do talk about getting very, Leventhaled. Very different meanings of what that means, by the way. That's true. That's true. So maybe you and you and John
4: Nagel have got something that you, you can talk <laughs> about. Actually, there we go. Next time I see him. You know, you know the delayed act thing, it, it, it manifests itself more in the modern age because people expect TCP to do lots of things that it wasn't really expected to do in the past. So, like, request-response protocols were not really part of the design point.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is Tom, this is a really important point that you're making that and when you say not, so a, a, a request response protocol being like, I am going to, I am effectively, this is a remote procedure call effectively that I'm making. Right, this is right. a, like, I am calling you. And by the way, until you reply to me, I have got nothing to do. And that's really, as you say, that is not really the design point. Um, but it is the way we, there's a bunch of stuff on the network that actually does rely on that kind of behavior.
4: Right, but these days, you know, the you're much better off finding finding a library so you don't have to do your own socket programming because there's there's way too many flags to mess up. There are way too many flags to mess
1: up, and so in but in particular that the delayed acts became uh, that became the default behavior where in a delayed act is saying, well, it's like you know, I just received this. And instead of acknowledging it, let me just see if I receive something else. And let me just save the network a little bit. Let me let me see if I can actually bundle some ACTs together. And, you know, kind of...
0: And, I and it's also, what, Brian, I'm going to reply with some data. And so yes. I don't need to send an ACK because if I'm just going to reply anyway, I can just bundle it along for the ride.
1: Yeah, and I kind of feel this is like a like a teenager approach to like taking out the trash or whatever. Like, let's just, you know <laughs> what I mean? It, it feels like...
0: Right. Kind do I have like, to do it now? What if we just wait? Won't it like solve itself? Will it solve itself? Yeah. And maybe like maybe later I'll be kind of
1: like walk into a friend's house and I can like bring the trash out and then and like save myself a trip. Makes uh, sense.
4: Right. So it makes total sense. Um, so and remember the, the the number of packets was really important because until the late nineties all routing was done entirely in software, so you had all this per packet overhead. Yeah, interesting.
1: So you really, it, every packet is sacred, Tom, in this world. Like, we really, right. we've got the opportunity. And it is, like, I do think it's really important. I think, like, great internet collapse of 1986. Except,
4: so, except it, the ones it, you dropped for congestion. <laughs> right.
1: it, but, I mean, the microprocessors are, you know, 12 megahertz, 16 megahertz, 30 megahertz, maybe 40 megahertz during this time, but unlikely. Right, I mean, the everything is just so scaled down. You know, RAM sizes are, you know, you're talking to a, a you know, a workstation in 1986. Tom has what? Probably four megabytes of RAM,
4: maybe not even that. Um, yes, I mean, it, I mean, that was a Sun Sun three sweet spot was, I think, four megabytes. So that's about that time. Right. So you got a
1: sixteen megahertz ish microprocessor, four megabytes ish. And then, what is the actual network speed? That has got to be uh, one megabit, or where are we here well, on networking speeds? I don't have a good intuition for that. Yeah,
4: if if you were really rich, you could afford a T1 line and one and a half megabits. And so, when but, you were so on that Sun three hundred and sixty, what was the, what was the speed on that thing? Was it? Well, well, it had Ethernet on board at ten megabits. At ten megabits. Yeah, okay. Sorry. But uh, one of of my favorite features, which I was responsible for, is you could directly drive uh, synchronous serial protocols out of the serial ports and go up to 56 kilobits.
1: Oh, wow. That's pretty great.
4: Um, We could run X25 and SNA and all these wacko things that existed back then.
1: That's wild. But so, I mean, but Tom, your point that, like, the, the, it, these are really important optimizations to avoid sending packets that you don't need to send. And if, if, if I can avoid sending a packet and avoid dropping a packet, if I can just hold on to this for just a little bit of time and introduce a little latency bubble, perhaps um, this can be a big win. And I think either of these things in isolation would be a win. Together, they are deadly. Because you've got, you are on the on on one end of a connection. You are saying, "Well, I've got an ACK outstanding, and I'm going to wait till I hear back before I send the small packet." And on the other end, you've got like, "Well, you know what? I'm not going to send this ACK yet. I'm going to wait to see if I get anything else." And it's like, "Yeah, you're not going to get anything else. Like this is like they're waiting for you, (laughs) and you're waiting for them." And now it's going to be, and in our case, that hundred millisecond band was the delayed ACK retransmit time. That's when like we were, oh, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I haven't heard back on this thing. Um, so I guess I'm going to retransmit the ACK and then read that, that retransmission would, uh, would kind of unnagle you and you would, would send this thing that had been delayed. And now you have a hundred mil- And the other problem is like that absolute time is just like, outsized given the speed of everything now speed of networks speed of cpus amount of dram it's just like
5: i was um, reading these
0: the, i was reading the stevens uh, book you know published in 96 or something and it's got the same constants that we see in your data brian so t- to your point that uh, that those constants have endured 30 years and longer is uh, kind of crazy it
4: is definitely crazy um, yeah, the, and, the minimum TCP timeout is still two hundred milliseconds, which makes no sense if you're in a data center context. Right, that makes no sense. Um, yeah. but but the the problem is the people think of these as TCP attributes when they should be uh, variables that are determin variables that come from the routing table. So you should, you should be able to annotate your routing table and say, hey, I know this network is local. Let's Turn down all these timeout values.
1: Yeah, interesting. And is there a, like an RFC for that, Tom? Or was that was that an idea that had traction at one point? Or are we, is
4: everyone just giving oh, up? I just made up. It, that? Up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was. Well, you know, it was your, yeah, I exactly. Adam and I are ready to sign up. We're ready yeah, exactly. to <laughs> like. We, we want to buy two. Um, but yeah, and I think that then the, so the other, then you get into like a bunch of different aspects of this. What this, and I, this is where I'm really curious. now. um, Rocky, you're on the, on the stage. Um, and I, I saw Eliza out there. I know, I know Eliza's debugged this before. I would love to hear from other people that have debugged this. Um, and, you know, how did you debug this? Because I, I think that the, I, I know how I debugged it, and it was with a, whole lot of detrace i mean it got to the point where i actually like i mean I don't, i'm not sure how many times i actually like counted up the number of times i'd use dtrace on on friday when i actually debugged all this hmm. and it's like i i'd use trace like 275 times in the span of the <laughs> so nice like,
2: i changed like the opposing story if you want which is like debugging actually having noggle turned off and you kind of wanted it on, which was oh, super yeah, weird, yeah, please. Me, right? <laughs> um, so it was like mid 2012, I just got to Google. We just sold wildfire to Google. And I'm like drinking from the fire hose, taking apart all the internal libraries and trying to figure out like, what are we going to use? And we'd been purchased into ads. We were a social media marketing company. And so I called out at one point and they're like, Hey, we've got this like ads technology summit. You might want to go and just like see what else is going on. So I go there and there's some folks talking about their first event system because most of Google's stuff for many years before that was all like ETL and sort of big batch stuff and they're they're kind of moving into the event space. And so these folks were talking about how they would sort of put this system together and it was the usual sort of big company over-engineered madness going on. But they were talking about numbers towards the end and they're sort of trying to advertise the system in like n million events per core per day, blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of like, well... I was playing with this stuff and I did that many events on my workstation with my prototyper, you know, in the hour before I got here, like, what is going on? But I had happened to have been walking through, like, the stubby code and, like, the various, like, you know, event IO libraries and so on and so forth that were in the prod code base and had noticed, you know, standing out from prior experience, like, oh, they're turning nargle off for everyone unconditionally all the time, which completely makes sense if like everything you do is stubby and, and web, right? But these folks are now doing evented stuff. And, and so I came back afterwards and I was like, huh, I wonder. And I went and looked in their library and they've got no buffering on their sockets and they're just doing tiny writes all the time, <laughs> so it turns out they're stuck in the in the routing table lock, right? Because they're constantly spamming packets to the network when they didn't actually mean to because they made their own custom framing and blah, blah, blah. So it it still comes up, you know? And it, it like, sure, it's kind of a mistake. It's like you decided to go and write your own framing in, in your own C++ library, and you were just like, I didn't put a buffer in front of it. I'm just going to do raw writes and save myself memory. But you didn't in this case, and so the simple fix there is like, okay, turn Noggle on, and then you're, you know, that part of the problem goes away. But that fits the universe where all you're doing is a stream of events and doesn't fit uh, as, uh, as someone was saying earlier, it doesn't fit this universe where you're doing stubby, you're doing RPC, or you actually want the back and forward. But yeah, that was that was like a standout for me because there's been only a couple of events in my career where it went that way around. Normally it's, it's always the other way around. It's like, oh, I just built another reactor library or I'm starting to use a new IO library or whatever and the IO library hasn't yet learned to turn it off. And so the first thing you end up going looking for is, oh, it seems to be slow for RPC and that's the problem.
1: Yeah, that is really interesting. And, and just in terms of like, so the answer there, the right answer presumably is not turning... Because Nagel is kind of papering over, it sounds to me like a broader issue of like, there should actually be buffering.
2: Right. I, right. I would assume yeah, exactly. that buffering yeah. is the answer there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it depends what system you're on, right? If you're if you're significantly memory constrained, maybe you want to let the kernel deal with it because it's already got the buffers stuck around, or maybe you can push it all the way down to the NIC or something. But yeah, any high-level system like any normal world is totally, yeah. Do it in user space. Decide when you want to send you know, all of that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, interesting. And then, so did you, it sounds like you just debugged that one by inspection. Is that right?
2: Well, it was pure luck. I had like, literally yeah, I'd been like drinking from the fire hose and I'd happened to have read all of those libraries right then and there. And then they were describing this thing. And I was like, oh, I, wonder, I wonder, I'm gonna go have a look. And sure enough, it's just like, here's a behavior and you can go and run it on your workstation and get a different behavior from when you go and run it in production. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's really interesting, and also, I mean, I gotta say, like, I mean, really lucky. I <laughs> mean, it was really lucky. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, because you know, the other time that I that I've had this problem, um, I a bunch of us were debugging this, and it was showing up as like Cassandra latency, and it I I didn't actually debug it. It was a colleague. I mean, I was debu- I was like, not for lack of trying. But I was starting at the bottom of the stack and could, I mean, I was finding all sorts of things that were basically dead ends. Uh, and actually, Adam, you know, the state map work that I did, I did that to debug this problem, this Cassandra problem. Oh, really? Interesting. And uh, which it was like somewhat disappointing because I did not actually, I just could not understand. Because it is so hard to understand when you have, you know, it's kind of like, you have like the toddler that won't put on their shoes for a hundred milliseconds. And then they put on their shoes. It's just, like, very hard to debug when you have th- this, like someone is refusing to allow work to progress for what is actually a pretty short time in human time and a very long time in computer time. It is very hard to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found. Yeah. And it was another colleague of mine, uh, Elijah Patron, who was, who, uh, out of all of our shared frustration in this is like, I'm actually just going to go check this configuration file against the configuration file that's uh, comparing uh, Joint to AWS. And they were like, you know, we don't see this on AWS. We didn't see this on you. And and ultimately, like, just took this configuration file, like line by line, took it apart and found this very important difference around TCP no-delay. Node um, but that was, it was just kind of, Raggy, like, it was kind of more like your situation of like just getting lucky and kind of finding it. Um, but really hard to do. Uh, I found from from first principles, you know. It, it, yeah. uh, Adam, as we were kind of contemplating this, I went. You, a great thing to go do on Twitter is search for TCP no delay. Did you do okay. this? No. Oh, it's so great. It is such a so th- there are the tweets because the tweets are all. I mean, who randomly tweets about TCP no delay other than the people who've been just. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, (laughs) it's like a mixture of anger and euphoria
2: it is it's like like one or two people in every group from every programming language ever that starts a new ip stack or a new network reactor library or whatever it is it's like every couple of people in that in those groups (laughs) it's amazing
1: it is and it's like it doesn't have the frequency to be tweeted i mean it's like i don't think i mean lord help us if tcp no delay is ever trending on social media right i mean this is like not (laughs) something that you are actually going to see it—it it doesn't happen that frequently—and um, so there is—and uh, um, Eliza had a great tweet. I'm going to go find it, where it's like uh, she I can TCP no delay to the the equivalent of of forgetting to pull the parking brake, which definitely feels that way. Uh, I'll drop that one in. But I think so. I, I I love the fact that actually as I was looking at this, we got a couple of these folks here who have run into this. So Dan, you're here, I think. Um, and yep. you you wrote this tweet in 2019. I love the fact that I put out on Mastodon that I'd hit this, and you were one of the first ones to like it on Mastodon. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to reach out to Dan and ask him about this. So could you take us behind this tweet? Because this tweet feels painful. Just reading it. Yeah, uh, no, I, th-
5: this is actually a long, long story. Um, it wasn't even anything in particular, uh, but it's uh, so, an Nowadays, I'm a researcher at Microsoft Research. Before that, I was a professor and I ran a research group focusing on distributed systems and low latency. And the Nagel algorithm had become a meme in our group that uh-huh. it had just come up so many times that uh, finally I just wrote on the wall, it's always the Nagel algorithm, uh, because we had to check that every single time. Um, I don't remember the first time I ran into this, but I do remember uh, one very memorable one, which was we were just starting a project to look at um, hail latency in distributed systems back in 2012 or so. uh, And we just started running some simple systems, uh, you know, null RPC, memcached, uh, very basic NGINX configuration and trying to look at the latencies of them. And uh, we started trying to just trying to understand them, right? That if we we have some idea of how fast these systems should, should, should be and queuing theory can tell us what the distribution should look like and we can simulate it. And then w- what we wind up with in practice is totally different. Right. And... One of the really weird things that uh, the students I was working with who've since gone on to graduate and do great great things uh, noticed was that it really depended on where in the connection you were because, you know, the first couple of requests would get delayed and nobody could figure out why. And we didn't even have any cool visualization tools at that point. Uh, I remember we were literally looking at pieces of paper with tables of latencies. And I looked at it and said, oh, did you turn off the Nagel algorithm? Because I had run into that before. And that's, by the way, a great tip, which is that if somebody ever presents you a table of latencies on paper, you can say, oh, did you try turning off the Nagel algorithm? And they'll really be impressed. Did you look thoughtfully at the numbers
1: first before you? Absolutely. That's right. Oh, no, let, me just, <laughs> let me just do some calculations in my head. Okay. Okay. Now I've got a question for you. I've got one question for you. That's pretty great. Um, and, it, and, it, and indeed, it was, in this case, or it sounds like it would, turning yeah. off Nagel.
5: Well, that was one of many things. We found many yeah. others later. Um, I wanted to mention something else going back to the historical perspective, uh, because as somebody who uh half-heartedly follows congestion control research these days uh it's kind of wild to me that we were that people were thinking about congestion on the internet and what they were thinking about was not uh you know how do we how do we fairly allocate resources how do uh we make sure that we do, we get the right allocation that we uh control the rates at which people are sending it's just a one-off thing you know hey some of these things are sending too many packets let's do an optimization to make them send fewer fewer packets by waiting or by delaying the axe that all of the other can all of the other like serious congestion control stuff came later and you know at the time nagel was doing this like there was nothing to stop you from monopolizing the uh backbone link
1: right that this is all this is all kind of like cooperative congestion control effectively there's no nothing happening at the core to actually prevent congestion is that my
5: yeah i mean there's nothing happening at the core there's nothing really intentional even happening at the endpoints either right it's just try to send less
1: right (laughs) choose something different yeah, and it, well, and I think it 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 shows that it's it's hard to kind of reason about certainly in those early days, hard to reason about that larger system. Um, and everyone is you're only seeing kind of what what's going on at the edge, and you've got to kind of react accordingly, um, or try to react in the best interest of the network. So, it, it, from your perspective today, I mean. You, haven't we outlived this having this as a default? I mean, surely this should not be the default. Surely one of these things should not be the default. Or should we just is this something where this is like uh medical residents working 36-hour shifts? This is just something that we believe that everyone should have to suffer through as part of their character building to be a software. I
2: I, f- I feel like having a default here is probably sensible, but we should set the time down to something really small, right? Like, if you do have some mm. naive, dumb software that is doing, you know, individual byte writes or, you know, putsies to your network socket, then sure, set it to a millisecond. It will still go slow, but it's not the, like, fatal thing. The only bad thing for doing that is that it's going to make it harder to spot. So I don't
1: know. Yes, I was just going to say, if it were a millisecond, I would not have spotted this. I don't think so.
4: Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be the guy debugging the new problems when the default changes. Right.
5: Well, that's that's yeah. happened, right? I, I I saw one one of those Hacker News posts, maybe the one that Nagel commented on, was about Go not having it on by default. Yes. And then, yeah. somebody finding out uh, that in fact doing one byte rights is not going so well for them.
1: Yeah. And yeah. uh, oh, so you, yeah. you authored so, the, the parking break tweet we, what's, what was it? What's, right. what's been your experience
3: yeah. so I do kind of have uh, perspective on this specific question of like you know what should be on by default uh, which is that you know I was listening to like Raggy's answer and I believe you said something sort of offhand about like oh people are like authoring one of the, the you know these like new IO reactor libraries and I have the dubious honor of having been a maintainer of not the primary maintainer of Tokyo, but a contributor. Uh, And we get a lot of GitHub issues that basically look like, you know, why is my Tokyo app so slow? Well, you know, a lot of the time the answer is, like, did you take the parking brake off? Um, Which is where that tweet came from. The tweet was sort of a reaction to this, like, you know, we just gotta have this like checklist of when somebody's like, well, I'm having these performance questions these performance questions. Obviously, the first one is sort of like, well, did you compile your Rust program in debug or release mode? Okay, oh, right. yeah, you flip the little switch on the checklist. Okay, light turns on, great. Did you remember to turn off Nagel's alg- algorithm? Algorithm.
1: Well, can I just ask what yeah. else is on the checklist so I can go check that right now? Um, I can go quietly. Check that. <laughs> you know,
3: those are those are two of the biggest ones that I can think of. on buffered IO in general is just also sort of a big one uh that it actually comes up a lot. And this is, I think, this plays into this sort of like question of defaults. Um is that like in Rust, the like standard library I.O. primitives are all unbuffered unless you explicitly say I want them to be buffered. Uh, and the reason that like so Tokyo also like defaults to not disabling Nagel's algorithm when you make a TCP socket. And the reason that Tokyo does that is because it's what the Rust standard library does. And whether that's a good decision or not, I think we can like kind of debate. But there was like this very important sort of like, well, the Tokyo socket should behave the same as the Rust standard library socket, except that it's going to set like O oh, non block because it needs to do that uh, because you're going to use it with the like IO reactor. So it needs to be non blocking. But besides that, it really like, We don't want it to set any different socket options from the socket options that the rest standard library sets, and we want the user to, you know, essentially be able to interchange them, except that the Tokyo one you have to put the await word after every time you want to do a read or write on that socket. And I think, I mean,
1: broadly, that's a very good decision. I mean, be, it would certainly violate the principle of least surprise if, like, right. Tokyo was like, no, look, we've got a bunch of issues, so we set all of these things on your site right. to make it behave but differently.
3: But the downside is that now you have to respond to each of these GitHub issues and be like, right. you know, well, did you take the parking brake off? Um, right. And I think that, like, you know, the ca- other thing that you could do is the, the Go thing of, like, well, we're just going to change the default from the default... That everyone has had as the default since John Nagel actually wrote the algorithm. Uh, and then we'll you get the, the news comment from John Nagel. Right. Yeah, yeah I you mean, can't remove the parking every break, Sometimes You want to park your car. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> every downline version of these, like eight, several reactor libraries in Ruby. Over the years, like we disabled these, and I think Twisted disables it by default. Like I, I think yeah. all the Dynelang reactor libraries end up turning it off by default. I, I I imagine it's turned off in Go by default because they were like doing prototyping inside of Google Prod, and they just like matched what the Prod behavior was. <laughs> um, was probably like really genuinely the primary reason. Um, But yeah i I mean like in terms of being surprising behavior or not honestly i i would come to a reactor library and be unsurprised in either direction like you know it's it's just one of those like check it off the list did you say it's like a thing that you start looking for when stuff doesn't behave the way you expect
3: the kind of funny story is that the specific tweet that brian mentioned the the parking brake tweet came out of um a very, to me, very funny GitHub issue, which was actually on a a Tokyo demo app. There was, uh, our, like, demo app that we have is called Mini Redis, and it's, like, Redis, except it it isn't very good. Um, And, you know, it's, like, intentionally not very good because it's supposed to walk you through, like, here's how you use the async runtime, here's how you use the synchronization primitives, and it's for, like, having a bunch of comments in it that tell you how it works and also like being used in some of our tutorials and so it's like very specifically it implements all of redis except for like redis pipelining so it has no connection reuse right because the pipelining is kind of or it, it has very limited connection reuse and the pipelining is kind of the thing that you know is the draw the you know, the, the, You've maybe seen the image that's like, here's how you draw an owl, and it's like, draw three circles. And then step two is like, draw the rest of the owl. Well, the pipelining is kind of the like rest of the owl of Redis. Uh, and it's like, very intentionally, we did not implement this in the demo app. So there was this, like, somebody opened an issue and was like, why is this so much slower than Redis? It's written in Rust. It, Rust is supposed to be fast. Well, it's a demo. <laughs> you know, like, we intentionally did not draw very the rest familiar. of Redis. Uh, and so the comments from all of the maintainers, well, were we, you know, we don't implement pipelining. So if you do like one Redis command, then you wait for that command to come back, and you can't send more. Um. And so th- that's sort of like, well, it's not supposed to be a Redis replacement. It's supposed to be a demo, you know. Right. Um. And the user just like keeps asking all of these questions, and it's like I'm running all of these benchmarks, and it's like, well, you, why are you doing that? For one thing um but then somebody replies and i think this is a third person who is neither the like original question asker or one of the tokyo maintainers who are like trying to explain to this person that this is like you know intended purely for educational purposes and we specifically did not do the complicated thing that actually makes it suitable for production use um and this third person shows up and is like well so i turned off nagel's algorithm and it's actually almost as fast as redis that's great. Wow. And so that, I mean, but I, I think that this is actually a case of like benchmark's lie, right? Because it was faster, yep. or it was like almost yep. as fast as Redis because he was doing this benchmark entirely on his local machine. Totally. Um because, and so yeah, he's like, pipelining yeah,
2: he's, in the buffer, yeah.
3: He's pipelining in the Linux kernel, right? Because he's yep. just churning connections on localhost and so now it's like as fast as Redis in this benchmark. But you only get that when you take the parking break off.
2: Anyway, and
3: that's
1: the I have, end of the story, I, and I have to say this, So, and actually, it should be said that, like, relatively early on in debugging this. I mean, again, this is only like once I had this these outliers reproducible, getting it you know, all the way to bug it was, it was a day. It's a long day, and relatively early on, Adam, I don't know if you saw, but our colleague Robert Mostaki is like, "Have you checked Nagels? And I'm like, "You know, this could be something like Nagels, but I just continued to debug it on first principles, <laughs> and I, well, in part because, like, I actually I have found the kind of folk wisdom around performance debugging to be so frequently wrong and the data to be just to, Dan kind of your earlier point of like we had this kind of theoretical construction of the network and the data that we saw out of it was so wildly different and so I've, i i i think i i have probably like overreacted at least on some of these things and i like i really need to get nagel's is so brutal to debug that i i really need to check i i actually do need to actually uh, go and check that earlier, as opposed to insisting on getting the data to just prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was that it is Nagel's.
2: Um, I, I definitely sympathize with that internal fight, <laughs> like if, of trying not to just take the esoteric that I've learned in the past.
3: This we, this whole thing yeah, made me realize,
2: was- like that I went and looked, and so SS in Linux is actually fantastic. If you turn all of the option logging on, you can go and see a lot. But I just realized, because I just went and looked for it, it doesn't have Noggle in the list of options that it interprets and prints out, which is mind-blowing. Oh my God. It's got oh all God. the other congestion control stuff in there, but it doesn't have Noggle in there, which is just well, crazy. It, it is crazy. It, it, and, you know, Ryan
1: dropped this into the chat earlier, but I did feel like, you know, one of the things that, that and um, you know I talked about this, and know I talked about this with Robert as well on Friday, it's like, man, we, we do not have, we do not bump a counter when this happens. Like, there's no MIB when you've had this, like there, we have nibs on, on things like drops, right. And you've got like somewhat the, 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 we've got like standardized way of looking. And we kind of know that if I'm looking at a networking problem, I do want to make sure that there are no drops, but boy, you really want to treat this like a, a drop. I I mean, it's not, um, you really want to have a glaring kind of red alarm when you've actually done this. Um, So we definitely need, we've got some improvements to the system for sure to make this much more debuggable when and where it happens, because it is just, Absolutely brutal. Um, And I get it. I'm curious if other people have debugged it from first principles. um, And if so, like what? uh, What did you use? Just because it is it 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 is hard to debug. It is really, really hard to debug because it is so transient, and it doesn't happen in every packet too. I mean, you actually kind of need to have. I mean, even for us, like we, it doesn't happen on every workload because if you have a workload in which it's kind of naturally synchronizing around a flush. That is to say there's no other activity going on when it does a flush. That flush will happen promptly because the other side's not it doesn't have an act
3: that's pending. I mean so. I kinda had the thought that maybe like somebody should just open a PR to Tokyo that changes the like format debug implementation for TCP streams so that like, you know, when you print it, if you, you maybe just if you use the alt mode, the like multi-line format, maybe not, I don't know. Uh it should just say like you know, there should be a bool in there that's like, did you call? Set no delay on this.
1: Well, yeah, actually, I like that. Like that idea. I like that, and I think it also is like somehow I feel if we didn't call it TCP no delay, but instead called it TCP delay and set it. To, I mean, somehow if you saw TCP yeah. delays set to true, yeah. you'd be like, wait a minute, what is that?
3: Um, yeah, that, that that's the button that makes the computer slow. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. It it really is. It what, like a what is the turbo button thing where the turbo yeah. button actually makes the computer go slower? What is you said
1: SS? What is that? Is that a is that a program that that uh, uh, that dumps out? Yeah, it's socket? part
2: of, part of IP route too. It's like socket statistics, but yeah, yeah. You, it's got like uh, info flags and extended socket options flags, which dumps most of the stuff you want to know. Just weirdly yeah. not this particular flag, which is wild.
3: But yeah, yeah we use it all funny. the time
2: for, like, ACN and everything else. And, and like, you can see sockets in, like, exponential backoff. So, like, talking of timers that have not been reset for, or not been reconsidered for a very long time, TCP backoff is still over an hour, right? <laughs> if you, you mm-hmm. disconnect one end of a TCP socket, and you don't have, like, you know, a healthy router, or you've got overly firewalled routers in the middle, it's going to sit there and keep trying for over an hour.
3: I think the close wait timeout is also just, like... Kind of ridiculously long. I don't remember what it is though.
2: Yeah, speaking of people burning themselves, that's like 20 seconds or 40 seconds, something like that. It's like long enough that web servers get burned by it.
3: Yeah, it's long enough that if you like try and start a program that terminated very abruptly and you try to restart it again and tries to bind the same socket, then that program also crashes. And it like, it really should not be long enough that if I like type the command again, I can, you know, not open my socket again
0: yeah but then by the time you go to debug it it works You're more it works. the
1: uh do you remember the ak test issue adam
0: no this the, is the, the test the, framework we had at uh for the zfs storage appliance
1: and our colleague uh then and now dave pacheco debugging the connection refused that we would see occasionally when you run the test suite it's like every once in a while you just start seeing some connection refused I'm like what was what that and but then it would go away and it would t- It took absolutely, and that was ultimately that's what it boiled down to. So you again had connections and time to wait. Um, so, and- so
0: Brian, I qu- question for you on on debugging this because I was thinking like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a K stat or a D trace probe or a MIB or or anything to scream for help when this was happening? <laughs> yes. Would you have heard yes. that scream? Like, did you check any of these places? Like, would you um, have seen so- something that that was obviously going bananas?
1: So here's what I would do. This is and yes, I would have. Um, I think we. So here would be my my proposal would be adding a kernel statistic and putting drop in the name. Um, this may be I may be like overfitting for my for myself here, but I did look for drops um, and I was because we you know like all right, this is only existing on the network. It doesn't and and you know as you. Know, <laughs> We built our own. We built our own network. We have built our own switch. Like the mind runs wild with things that it could possibly be, and eliminating dropped packets as a source is is really important for us to do early. We actually, and we, you know, knock on wood, but we haven't had issues with drop packets. So I did look for drop packets, and I would you almost want to call this like you know like a nagel resend drop or something which is a total misnomer but you but you know what i mean like the as a way of indicating like you want this should be named something
3: that is scary in some way you could call it you know drop not actually dropped but delayed <laughs> right, exactly. yeah, right.
0: jk uh, drop right
1: JK drop. I, I did. Did you see what Ian dropped in the chat? By the way, the, the a, a Lionel Huts uh, rendition of TCP delay. Delay <laughs> anyway, TCP? No delay. They got this all wrong. Right.
2: So I've been trying to think what this looks like in perf because I use perf a lot on Linux these days, and it, you know, it the flame graph output and what have you is kind of useful, but. I, having spent enough time on Fusion where we had whole system traces that were they weren't quite precise traces, but they were close enough, and you get the linear Chrome timeline kind of view on things rather than the the overlaid summary that is a flame graph, and that was really useful, like particularly in early system builds for just like yes. what actually yeah. just happened, and you can do it in text obviously as well, but it's also kind of useful at these days scale just doing the whole thing in you know, a in a UI and I find like, I really want a good one of these for Linux. And so far I have not come anywhere close to getting something that is actually decent, but if you like, you could see Noggle there and like, I know what that stack would look like, but like trying to pick that out of a flame graph would be really hard.
1: You are for sure not going to pick it out of a flame graph. What you are going to need to see you I do think that you need to kind of visualize every packet in terms of its latency and you need to be able to see those outliers and then under, because like what you are a hundred percent not going to see is the actual code path that does this, right? That thing is just like, cause it's quick. It's very fast to be like, I mean, you're, you're just not, um, it, it's going to be hard to catch. Um, I th- and I think that you, this is where you want to be able to instrument the entire system and know that you've done it in such a way that I've got all of the data here from the system. So now I can actually go reason about all of it. I also do feel like yeah. maybe, maybe we should be like assigning timeouts, like the way we assign like, uh, um uh, you know, like AS numbers or whatever, you know what I mean? Like we, we we should assign timeouts. Like everyone gets a unique timeout value that must be relatively prime. Maybe a prime number of timeout. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then and then the de- there's some uh, GNU plot feature that like lists yeah. them all, like like gravitational constants or whatever, so that you can see if you're some multiple of some known esoteric prime integer.
3: Yeah,
1: that's exactly right well, So like, now you have
3: to like deal with depletion of the like i can like strategic prime numbers reserve <laughs> <right. for timeouts>. <laughs> like <laughs> we're out of
1: timeouts we can't we're out of timeouts. timeouts now we're out of timeouts like you can't i'm sorry like you can't I-, I think that would be a great thing that we've actually you can go like buy someone else's timeout you can go like you know maybe there's some dead protocol you can, you can go take them over or something but like yeah
5: sorry we're out of timeouts Time out Sorry, the only timeout we got left is 37 minutes. You can take it or leave it. <laughs> exactly.
2: Uh, 37 yeah, add a, add
5: or a, 37 microseconds. I have 37
1: microseconds if you want that one. <laughs> you can take that one too.
2: Add a little color to it and then you get another round and then you can add a sound to it and you get another round. Eventually you just run out of senses to add to the thing. That's right. Um, I,
1: the,
2: the whole visualization thing is, is it still feels like a big thing to me. You were, you were talking about this earlier on was just being able to see everything that's going on and, and having lights and stuff. And I, I love going to the computer history museum and just seeing all the like old mainframe boxes and they're just like covered in lights. And I'm just like, yes, I know what the kind of intuition that you build up for a system seeing something like that. And you, know, you walk into a place and you're like, <laughs> I've seen interrupt rates like that before that's broken. Um, and we just don't have that anymore because we don't have that kind of spacing and, and there's too much stuff going on too fast. That it's kind of hard to see. But even though, even in that world where there's a lot of stuff that's too hard to see, I think there is actually still a universe where even just strobing patterns and so on, we're actually pretty good at, but we just don't expose them all that well.
1: Totally. Is, can I ask a dumb question? How do I, like,
0: can I post an image in Discord? How do I do that? I'm trying to, like, not... Po- do you want me to post the one you're... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: The the image this is uh, yeah Adam could you act as my proxy on Earth and yeah. uh, thank you how did you do how did you do that
0: I'll show you later Grandpa <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> time to get me to bed yeah. <laughs> Uh all right fair enough well I
1: gotta I gotta yeah I guess that's not given away that's gonna be earned uh, so uh, this is the just again your kind of point that this is the uh the just the visual of uh, once I we actually knew what this was and I had the kind of like. The three machines that I needed to go because we're talking to that the this disk volume exists on three different machines in the rack, and I've located the the kind of the the actual sockets on these three machines. I'm like, all right, now I'm going to go whack the actual value in the kernel. Um, do not this, do not do this at home, kids. Little M D minus K W
0: action. Wait, 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 and, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. You, you're like eh, you know forty this? milliseconds. What about zero milliseconds? That that, that was that was your plan.
1: Uh, no, the, my plan is, yeah, my, no, my plan. Yeah. Cause the, the, the Nagel limit is expressed as a quantity of bytes and okay. like what oh, is, gotcha. what, what constitutes what they call a runt packet. I and, see. um, how about a runt packet is one byte, which is ah, off basically. That's fine. Um, and so, and then did that on all three of these machines and then, and then the, the, the graphic that that this young whippersnapper here uh, was able to drop in the Discord that I was unable to do for myself because I don't know how to live in modern society uh, shows the actual latency. And you can see that super clear 100 millisecond banding. Uh, and then also you can see why it was hard to debug because there's a lot that are finishing in less than 100 milliseconds. And then just all of those go away. And uh, I mean, so cool. the aggregate latency... The, I mean, interestingly, like the 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 mode latency for sure went up because we started doing a lot more work Hmm. because we were uncorked, you know, and this is where I do think looking at, looking at the average is deceptive or the mean is deceptive. Looking at the mode is deceptive. I mean, you really do need to visualize the entire distribution because what you're seeing there is not going to be something that a number is going to really convey. Um, And indeed the numbers that you might get out of it would be very misleading.
2: Yeah, for sure. I, this is, this is my pet peeve with like, operational monitoring for higher level systems at the moment like stuff getting fed through prometheus into grafana is just like full of lies all the time it drives me nuts but the seeing the graph reminded me of something which is a positive thing out of the higher level universe at the moment is so we we've been using a product called honeycomb and honeycomb has this amazing feature in it where you can go into a data set and they call the feature bubble up and you select over a range in the data set and you say tell me things which are unusual about this data set compared to the global average.
3: Mm. And they will just
2: surface the, there are like 10 or 20 different metrics and you you can instrument tons of stuff. I mean, this is all tra- um, uh, like open tracing style stuff. So it's all sort of high level traces, but they do this data analysis over all your data for you. And so you can just be, grab a range tell me what's weird about this range and, and it will bubble stuff up and th- that feature is it, it's a feature i'm very willing to pay a lot for that product for
1: yeah that is that is really interesting i, I mean and i love i mean i know Honeycomb's got a lot of really interesting data visualizations um we can just get charity on here to talk about some of the stuff they've done uh for folks who didn't see in the chat they uh Asking if a violin plot would do better. Um, that is a reference to to Angela Collier. Have you watched any of her any of her
0: videos, no, Adam? I, I I don't get the reference at all. No.
1: Oh, oh my god, I got to plug her. Oh, she's got the. So she's an uh, an astrophysicist by by training, PhD in in astrophysics. Um, and uh she just goes uncorked on these various rants. Um, and she's got a rants or a rant about violin plots. Um describing that uh, violin plots should actually not exist, that uh, were really uh, it's really great. So I'm, I'm going I'm to drop that into the chat and if I'm giving you the gift of, uh, of Angela Collier, you're going to really appreciate it. She's really extraordinary. So, Riking, excellent use, ec- excellent crossing of the streams in there. Fantastic. Well, it's been good. Uh, it has been very therapeutic I think for me. Uh, <laughs> good, I, I know had, you I think, needed this. I did need this. I did need this. This is a little bit. As we know, this is I. The, you, you're, I can see you looking at your watch, saying, "Well, I can see my time is. I see, see your time is up."
2: <laughs> oh, and me right.
1: like beginning to to try to take back the box of Kleenex from me. Me, uh, me, maybe resisting a little bit, wanting to hold on a little bit longer, but wipe one more tear. But, but this
0: is a great service too. I don't know. I mean, I know that uh, I, I agree with everything that's been said about the oral tradition of debugging being misleading. Yes. And that you don't want to just you know one person saw it one way, so let's just try to you know prescribe uh, you know aspirin and see if it clears up. On In the other hand,
1: th- can we just say that just as a quick aside, the Naples Ultra of that are the JVM garbage collection
0: algorithms. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, true, truly handed down, father to son, mother to daughter, over the generations.
1: And I feel like, because I'm trying to figure out why do I have such an allergic reaction to that. And that is the one that I that is just like, if you've done anything with the JVM, I feel you've heard, like, oh, what GC algorithm are you? You like, use a different one. <laughs> the one you're using is like, it, it's it, it, the, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, Eliza. I'm sure there are some people who are like, I actually, sorry, this is going to be like, we need a new therapy session now on JVM GC. <laughs> <GVM. laughs> There's sorry, like a bash script.
3: That's like, (laughs) you know, I want to run a Java program bash script. And it's kind of like the 10 lines of like XX, no whatever, XX mark sweep, XX concurrent, whatever, GC, this much meta size, so on and so forth. That if you want to invoke like any Java binary, you kind of have to like use this bash script of like make the JVM be normal.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly. It is if it, it does it feels like a book of spells that's been handed down. So sorry. I, I feel like
2: JVM flags need a content warning. I, 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 know, <laughs> I know. I know.
1: I am really sorry about that. But Adam you've endured that as much as anybody.
2: Oh
0: yeah, for sure, but it was it was uh, sort of like magic that was like handed down like they, you know, smuggled out of Twitter like it, you know, wrapped <laughs> in newspaper print. <laughs> totally. You know, and then and oh, then unveiled God. outside oh, of the goodness. building. I just have the pulp. I've got Christopher Walken from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> this <laughs> uncomfortable GC <I> flags <laughs> carry it through the prison camp. Exactly.
5: In a former life, I was at VMware, and one day I looked around and realized that everybody I worked with used to work at Sun, and they used to work on garbage collectors, and they used to work on different garbage collectors. Oh, God. And they... Yep. I, I never thought possible. of pitting them against each other to get their, <laughs> their secret sets of... Uh, JVM flags, but they all would have had totally different ones.
1: So not only would they have had totally different ones, though they are may well be on different sides of one of the great civil wars. I feel like... I would, Adam, wouldn't you read a book on, on technology's civil wars? I feel I would. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: I, uh, or like, a Ken Burns 14-parter on... Um, <laughs> my, my dearest
0: balance.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm in... I, uh, oh my God, Ken Burns' organizational civil war. Um, I, I just God, I love it. But so they, uh, then they may have been on the hotspot versus exact, which was a very hot civil war inside of Sun between Labs and SunSoft, and it left like a the, the, that one burns hot enough that you can mention it to a belligerents today and still like they they will still tell you that everyone else was like full of it. Um, so sorry, Adam, I don't know. All these are you are you're trying to bring us home and i keep yes like, yes I, I i've seen our time is up right <laughs> that's right that's i mentioned again um but the, the, the yeah you get these kind of like these all of these shibboleths that we that we resist because of these stories like the jvm flags the gc
0: flags and so on that's right and they but shib- shibboleths useful as like for your toolbox not to just blithely misapply, but knowing that, hey, if you've got some bizarro outliers, like there are some things to explore.
1: And you probably do want to check for TCB no delay. You do want to check for Nagel sooner rather than later. It probably is worth, I I admire your desire, one's desire to debug from first principles is great. But also I would say once you believe it might be Nagel, it's very easy to demonstrate or relatively easier to demonstrate. So that's another reason to yeah. investigate in, investigate that one early. Um, Eliza, if you expand your Tokyo uh, list of things to check, please. I want to make sure. I want to go check uh, because I, I feel that um, you know if there are other things like this that are lurking. You definitely want to have those at the ready. And the you can make a good argument like, hey, this should not be the default. Um, certainly the and Raghi, I think you made a very interesting argument about the timeout being different. Um, and I think we should either lower it or change it to be a prime value. Uh, I, I, I,
0: what Die a, on that <laughs> hill. Agreed. Exactly. I,
2: I had one other idea in this, which is which could probably be done quite easily, which is we could make a Wireshark warning filter for it failures.
1: That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. I, saw so I, you know, I actually I, I like the Wireshark warning. I think that's a really good idea, where you can see that nagging is happening. I like Eliza your idea of of. Printing out TCP no delay really like in the 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 kind of pretty formatting of a debug on on a socket. Um, I um, uh, and Ryan in the chat had good ideas about like the about adding a kstat, adding an SCT probe. I think we need to. There are things we can do to make this more visible. I think we are not ultimately going to make this problem go away. And I probably have not debugged this for the last time in my life, unfortunately. But I would like to believe. (laughs) But the next time uh, will be a little, uh, little less painful. And, uh, and this is great to have everyone. Uh, man, I'm telling you, TCP No Delay, search for that on social media. It's, it's, it's the tribe. You just identify the tribe immediately. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. See you next time.